All right, we're going to have some fun today, um, but was, what was not fun was your pastor's prophecy about this afternoon, because I will say that my uh, Falcons are going to rise up. Jesus rose up, the Falcons will rise up. It's a good day in the house of the Lord. That's literally the only reason I have this out here, is to show you guys that. Um, Hey, listen, uh, I mean, wait, you're Ravens fans, birds of prey, right? Come on, let's go. You can't like the Patriots. For the love. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. We, we're going we're gonna to go blasting, flying through so much stuff today. Um, and uh, I, I've grown to, to love your church over the years. I was here like four years ago when I was doing music full time. Uh, Michael W. Smith played a concert here, and I was like his opening guy. And right after I, I, I got done leading worship, um, I walked out and Ben met me in the lobby. He's like, hey. Um, he's like, man, I, I just felt like the Lord, you know, was call, asking me to take you out and like, like hang out for a little bit. And so we, we developed a friendship. And we've been friends for a couple years now. And it's just been fun watching um, through, through the years, watching all that the Lord is doing uh, here. He took me that night. He's like, have you ever had a crab cake? And I was like, never had a crab cake? I've never had a crab cake. So he's like, oh, I've got to take you to this pizza place to get a crab cake. I was like, What? So confused. And it was the best crack, uh, the only crab cake I've ever eaten. But it was incredible. We went back there last night. Box, box something? Yeah. Woo, I ate all the crab cakes. So it was good. My name is not Carlos. It is Carlos. So let's fix that too. Um, before we start, could you just say hello, Carlos? Very good. Maryland, very good. Fake accents there. Um, we are going to be talking today, just like you said, about being a moment maker. Uh, creating moments, receiving moments, and rescuing moments. Creating moments, receiving moments, and rescuing moments. Um, and just so you know, th this isn't going to be like a, in case some of you guys are like, oh, this guy's going to preach like how to live your best life, yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. The reason we want to be moment makers, okay, the reason we want to be moment makers isn't so we live our best life. That, that, that may happen as a result, but li life, we live in a broken world. Okay, so life's not going to be incredible all the time. But the reason you want to be a moment maker is so that you disturb and disrupt people watching you so that they see the face of Jesus. So let me say that again. The reason we want to live a moment-making life is so that you disturb and disrupt those around you so that they see the face of Jesus fresh again. I'd even say that for career Christians, for those callous career Christians that just kind of are playing the same game all all. We've got to disturb and disrupt them so that they see the face of Jesus fresh. And the reason and the way we create moments is as a family. Turn to somebody next to you and say, hello, family, because this is your family. Go ahead right now. Hello, family. This is your family. These are the misfits that you will be creating moments with, receiving moments with, and rescuing moments with. It's way more fun to do this in family. So um, if you wouldn't mind, can I introduce you to my family? Oh, okay, good, because I'm going to do it anyway. Um, this is my moment-making crew. This is my beautiful, gorgeous, unbelievably incredible wife, Heather. I roll over every morning, and I'm like, how did I pull that off? Like, I don't even know. Like, I tricked her. And uh, we got married in 2000, so it's really, the reason I did that is because it's really easy to remember how many years we've been married. It will be 17 years at this point, some month this year. Um, and... Um, so, yeah, she is, she's the moment-making producer in, in my family. She's the, the super creative one. She um, raises our three kids 
Two, look at the Gospels and to, and to create and receive rescue moments in the name of Jesus. Um, she's been doing that our entire marriage. And uh, 14 years ago came the first one. So Haley, oh, yeah, exactly. She's so gorgeous, right? I mean, she's, she's like my, like, everything is perfect girl. You know, like, like she's like, everything's butterflies and rainbows and puffy clouds. And I'm like, so, hey, little baby, come here. And she's like, yes, daddy, what do you need? <laughs> like, that's her. That, that's her all the time. All the time. This is her. See, I mean, everything is great in her world. Even when it's horrible, it's great, you know. And so, like, I, 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 it's incredible to watch. She, she has the, uh, you, when, you're, when you're raising kids, you want to see the fruits of the spirit that the Lord has given them and kind of rise up in them. And sure, I mean, this one is just filled with grace and filled with mercy and it's, it's incredible. And then two years later came the antithesis of her. <laughs> 18 months later, to be exact, Sayana. This one is not puffy clouds and rainbows and unicorns. This one's thunderclouds and lightning bolts <laughs> and justice. And, and that, that's, that's the fruit that I see coming up in her. That, that's what I see rising in her is like the justice. And like, we got to be careful, parents. Now, this isn't a parenting talk, but we got to be careful when you've got somebody that's a firecracker to not extinguish the fire, okay? We, we want to make sure that, that, that we keep stoking the fire, but we don't burn the forest down, right? That's the goal. She came out the womb snapping her finger and rolling her neck like she just, she was just like, like she just had it in her. And, uh, and so that is, that is her, make sure everything is like in, in line. We, we had our two daughters and I knew I couldn't make a son, so we went and got a son. Uh, <laughs> there he is, Losiah. And so... We, we adopted Losiah from South Korea when he was, when he was uh, gosh, he was seven months old, six, seven months old. And uh, when you rescue a child, or when you adopt a child, you, you think you're going to rescue a child. It's is really what you think is happening. But man, he has rescued me. Um, it, it just always happens that way. And he's allowed me to father uh, a son. And um, it's just, it, adoption is just such a beautiful way. And fostering is just such a beautiful way to see these moments that God has for us. So th- this is my moment-making crew. This is a crew that every day we're creating, receiving, and rescuing moments in the name of Jesus for people. And the, the, the whole reason why I do this and talk about this, and I, the reason I wrote this book, is because there was one moment in particular that kind of captured my attention that showed me that people are desperate for moments. People are desperate for moments. My family and I were uh, driving down the road uh, in Atlanta at the time we were living there, and that Beyonce song came on, All the Single Ladies. You guys know that song, All the Single Ladies? All the Single Ladies, that one. And so they came on, and I thought, oh, this is kind of cute. So I pulled out my phone, and I started videoing my kids. And, um, and then I thought halfway, halfway through the song, I was like, I should probably tell Losiah that he's not a single lady. So just parenting. So I was like, hey, buddy, you're not a single lady. I said that, and panic ensued in the car, and it was, it was devastation. And I was so confused, and... And, uh, I, and he started crying, and I was filming, and I was like, this is really funny. <laughs> so I uploaded it to YouTube, and 24 hours later, let me show you what happened. Well, the Whitaker family of Atlanta was in the car just singing along to Beyonce's hit song, Single Ladies. And then the family fun took an unexpected turn. single lady, buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're a single lady. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. buddy. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. You can do it. Buddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, buddy. You're a single lady, okay? Okay? 
I'm a horrible father, he says no. The video has gone so we, we, we were on every television show for seven straight days. We were on every news show. Did you see the way he introduced The Whitaker family is driving down Atlanta. I'm like, like this was some major news story. We were on, on Wolf Blitzer, the Situation Room, had us. Like, is there not another news story on the planet? And we just, it just kept going and going. I was like, what is, what, is, what is it with this moment that people are so into? What is it? We won, seven months later, the People's Choice Award <laughs> on CBS. We won, an, we won an actual award for me making my son cry. They picked us up in a limo in L.A. They drove us to the Staples Center. We walked down a red carpet with other celebrities that have never done anything with their lives either. Like, like it's just a facade. And, and I, 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 the next morning, I just looked at Heather and I was like, why won't this die? Like, what is it? And she said, you know what? I, I'll tell you what it is. People are not used to seeing people make mistakes. People are not used to seeing people tell the truth. People are desperate for authenticity. And we live in the most inauthentic times ever. What's real anymore? People want truth so bad. And so that they saw you make a mistake and people are attracted to authenticity. And she's right. We do live in the most inauthentic times ever. Like, we don't know what's real anymore. We, we, we can take our selfies with our phones and for every inch higher you go, you lose like five pounds. And people are taking selfies like this now. And then you see them in real life and you're like, whoa. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I, can, I get it, you know. And it's just nothing's real. And so, so people want truth. And then when she said that, I'll never forget, I just was like, you know what, if, if people are desperate for us to be truthful, if people are desperate for us to be authentic, can you imagine how much more desperate they are for the truth of Jesus? How much more desperate they are for the most authentic person that ever walked the face of the earth, and his name was Jesus. You see, Jesus was the ultimate moment maker. He was the ultimate moment maker. So what I did was I started to study the life of Jesus in a way I hadn't before. I started to study how he lived every single day. What did he do? And what he did was he created moments, he received moments, and he rescued moments. And you find it all throughout not only the Gospels but the Old Testament. So what we're going to do right now is kind of dive into this first type of moment. It's called a created moment. Say created moments. These are the ones we're in charge of. These are the moments that we get to step out and disturb and disrupt people with. And we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark. And um, let, let me set this up. There's a father named Jairus. And this father had a 12-year-old daughter who was extremely ill. And so Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was one of the leaders in the, in the local church there. And he heard Jesus was in town. And his daughter was extremely ill, so he sprinted to find Jesus. That, that's what he did. That's what we would have done if Jesus was hanging out here in Baltimore somewhere. Someone's sick. You run and you get him so he can come and heal his daughter. And so we find ourselves here, and it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And this next part of the story is the part of the story that a lot of us have heard before. Uh, my dad used to preach on this growing up. And it's, it's the part of the story where it says that Jesus followed Jairus, but as he was walking through the city streets, it says that a woman who was extremely ill reached out and touched the hem of his robe. 
And it said that Jesus felt power leave him. And he said, who touched me? She said, it, it was me. And he said, your faith has made you well. And she was healed. Now, that's an incredible story. That's an incredible moment. But as the father of a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old now, do you know who I'm thinking about at this point in the story? Jairus. Because Jairus was the one that went to get Jesus to heal his daughter. And I can only imagine Jairus was not walking like this back home. I can only imagine he was going as fast as he can. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Wait, what do you, what do you mean Jesus is healing somebody else? Wait, I asked Jesus to heal my daughter. How many times have we been in that same situation that Jairus is in? We've asked Jesus to come do something for us, and he's gone and done something else. And then what happens inside of our hearts? We start getting frustrated. And we start getting angry with God himself. And that's where we find Jairus. Watch this. It said, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just what? Just believe. Now, I, we can give Jairus the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not going to. Because I think that when those friends told him your daughter's dead, Jairus got angry. Because Jairus thought he knew what Jesus should have done. And if we can step into Jairus' shoes for a second, don't be afraid, just believe, Jesus. Just, just believe. But my husband left. Just, just believe. But my mom has cancer. Just, just believe, but I just got laid off. Yeah, just believe. Sometimes it's the hardest thing we can do as believers. It's just believe. Because the good news is coming. And Jesus always has something much greater in store than we could ever imagine. You know what happened? He followed Jairus to his house. He stood above that little girl with no breath. And he said, rise. And breath entered her lungs. And she went from death to life. And what Jairus wanted to be a rescue... Jesus turned into a resurrection. And that is a moment-making God. You see, I know a lot of us in here right now, we've been waiting for Jesus to rescue us. Oh, God, rescue me from this relationship. Rescue me from this addiction. Rescue me from this. He's the one to rescue you. He wants to resurrect you. But in order for resurrection to happen, there has to be death. You have to die to yourself and then be resurrected. And we see this all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. And so if we see Jesus creating these massive moments, what does it look like for us? Because we're not walking around raising people from the dead. So if we want to look like Jesus, what's it going to look like? Here's the thing. Some of the most massive movements and moments in the history of mankind started with in, inside of really minute moments, really tiny moments. And we're walking through life looking for the big moments? Uh-uh. Look for the small moments that you can turn into big moments, just like Jesus did. A couple years ago, I was, I, was, I was on the sofa with my daughters. We were watching some show, and this really sappy commercial came on. Any sappy commercial criers in here? Anyone kind of cry at those things? Okay, get ready, because I'm about to make you cry. This commercial came on, and, and, uh, and, and I started crying. 
And, and it, it, was, it was a depiction of a beautiful moment. Um, and I'm, I see a bunch of tough kind of Baltimore, Maryland men in this room right now. And I think even all you guys are going to have a little lump in your throat when you watch this. Watch this right here. Sometimes the little things last the longest. Give extra, get extra. So I'm on the edge of my sofa. <gasps> so Haley, baby, don't grow up. And you know what I did? I got up and I sprinted to my minivan and I drove to Walgreens. And what did I buy? Pack of extra gum. I did, it worked. And I got home, and in the driveway, I YouTubed how to make an origami flamingo or whatever that thing was. And I ran inside, and I was waiting for one of my daughters to start crying, because at this point in life, it happened every 30 minutes or so. And sure enough, it was say honest. He starts crying, and I was like, baby, come here. Come here. And I pulled out the gum, and I was like, daddy loves you. And I made this really ugly version of this origami flamingo thing. And I go, every time you're sad, just look at the flamingo and know that I love you. And she was like, Daddy, it's beautiful. And I was like, I know. And she took it. And I know what she probably did. She probably went in a room and she probably found a shoebox. And she probably put it inside that shoebox. And one day when she moves out or I let her move out at 35 or 40, I'm going to be grabbing boxes, kicking boxes over, left and right, looking for the box of flamingos to spill all over my driveway. Why did I do that? Why, why in the world would I do that? Can I tell you why? I did that because I wanted to feel what that man felt. I, I, I wanted to feel what he felt. Now go with me. Can you imagine Mountain Christian Church? If you begin to create moments every single day wrapped in Jesus and handing them out to your community, one at a time, slowly but surely, it may not be in a year, may not be in five years, it may be in 18 years, but one day, because you have on purpose created these moments named Jesus Christ, a box of Jesus is going to spill all over this city, all over this nation, and revival will come. Just like it did that shoebox. Sure. But here's the thing. That's, that's not going to happen unless we live our Christian walk on Purpose and with purpose, with immediacy. We've got to do this on purpose. That box never would have spilled had that dad just thought about giving her those origami cranes. That's what they really were. It, it never would have happened. But because he took action and he did it on purpose, he had that moment. And I believe that there's revival waiting in this country. 
if we, as the church, create moments named Jesus and hand them out on purpose. The way I like to say it is this. We must mimic the master. Say, mimic the master. And so what we got to do, we mimic the master. We look at Jesus and we repeat. Those are created moments. Second type of moment, received moments. Say, received moments. These are now the moments that we're the beneficiaries of. Okay, this is incredible. I love these moments. These are those aha moments. Those moments where your ethos and your paradigm shifts. But the only way to receive a moment from the Lord is to be in a receptive position. We're not just going to receive moments out of the blue. We have to be, be in a position to receive them. And what's that position look like? We'll rewind back to the Old Testament. You've got the Israelites. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. And you've got Moses coming in and freeing them from the Egyptians. And now they're running as fast as they can to get out of there. And they look behind them, and the Egyptian army is right on their tail. And then they're running, right? And they're freaking out, and they're running. And then they get to the edge of an ocean, and they're standing at the beach. And they're like, there's an ocean? There's an army? We're dead. And they start to freak out. And I love the received moment when they start to freak out. Watch this. It says this. When the Israelites saw the king and his army coming after them, they were frightened, and they cried to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, what have you done to us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There were plenty of graves for us in Egypt. We told you in Egypt, let us alone. We'll stay and serve the Egyptians. Now we're going to die in the desert. Do you see what's happening here? They've been given freedom. The second they're faced with drama, what do they want to go be again? Slaves. And oh my gosh, how that parallels in our life. The Lord will deliver and free us from the chains of addiction, from the chains of bad relationships, from the chains of whatever it may be in your life. And you're free, and you're like, woo! And the second you're faced with drama, it's so easy to turn back and pick up those chains again. But the received moment, this is where the received moment comes in, and it came in for the Israelites. It says this, but Moses answered, don't be afraid, stand what? Stand still and you will see the Lord save you today. Stand still. Just that five seconds of silence was freaking some of you guys out. I hope he says something. I got to be quiet. I've got a cough. Is he going to hear me? Like, we, we don't know how to stand still. We don't know how to stand still. Do you know what happened when they stood still? Moses took that rod, stuck it in the sand, the ocean split wide open, and they were rescued. But we've got to slow down, stand still. Everything is about hustle this, hustle this, grind this out. All, all, all the blogs I read and videos, I'm, it's all about hustle and go and go and go and go. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know about you, but every time I see someone receive a moment in Scripture, they're not hustling. They're stopping. And they're slowing down. What does it look like for us as believers to slow down and to receive moments and to stand still? I took my daughters a couple years ago. They were super excited to go see Justin Bieber in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, before you judge me with your little judging eyeballs, this was, this was pretty bad decision. Cute, floppy hair, Justin Bieber. And my, my, my daughters had this calendar on their wall counting down the days. And it's a day of. We're driving to the FedEx Forum. We go. It was a couple years ago. They were preteens at this point, And I walk into the FedEx Forum. There's 13,000 screaming teenage girls in there. And I just grew up with brothers. So, like, this is all new for me. So I walk in there, and 
the closer that the countdown clock on the wall got down, it was counting down to the beeves exploding from the stage. The louder the screams got and the more emotional my daughters got. And about 30 seconds before the beeves exploded from the stage, my daughter started weeping. And my wife leaned over and took a picture, and this is the picture that she took. What is wrong with her? Like, look at my face. I'm so confused. Like, what have I done wrong? She cried the whole show. And I looked at my wife. I was like, what's wrong with her? My wife's like, I did it for Backstreet Boys. I'm turned out just fine. She's going to be okay. Is that okay? So the whole show, she, she cries. We get in the car. You know what I need to do? As a dad, I wanted to fix her. So I rolled up my sleeves, and I was like, I'm about to fix her. So we started driving home, and I was like, so hey, little baby. How, how, how come you were crying in there? Daddy, I love him so much. Excuse me? You love him? And do you know what all this launched into? You don't love him? You don't even know the first thing about love. You don't know that floppy hair. Boy, you don't love him. But I felt like the Lord said, stand still. Shut up. When I stood still, this is what he told me. You see those tears streaming down her face, Carly? Because she loves him so much. Those are the same tears that stream down my face because I love her so much. So instead of telling your daughter why her love is wrong, why don't you tell her why my love is right? And for the next hour and a half, we talked about the love of Jesus. And that never would have happened had I fixed her and not stood still. You see... God's speaking to us. But we got the volume cranked so loud in our life, we're missing it. People say all the time, oh, life's speeding by me. No, it's not. You're speeding past life. Slow down. Stand still. Why is it the first cup of coffee, the first morning of vacation, tastes way better than the cup of coffee on Monday morning on the way to work? Because we're standing still. Stand still. We must pause so we proceed. And then the last type of moment this morning we'll talk about are rescued moments. Say rescued moments. These are the moments, these are the moments where Jesus steps in and will rescue us and turn that rescue into a resurrection. And so many of us need that. I, I not only need that at one point in life, who needs that every day? I, I, I need that every day. I need the Lord to come in and rescue me. And so when it's time to be rescued and when it's time for us to rescue in the name of Jesus, we've got a great example. Matthew 14, 25 says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then there's Peter. And here's the thing. If you read the Gospels long enough, you, you, you will realize that the disciples weren't little perfect versions of Jesus. These guys were a hot mess. I mean, they, they, were, they were just like us. And the one phrase Jesus said more than any other phrase to his disciples wasn't, oh, you of massive faith. No. He said, oh, ye of little faith. More than anything else in the Bible that he said to his disciples, that's what he said. Oh, ye of little faith. And then there's, oh, ye of little faith times 20 Peter. And Peter always puts his foot in his mouth. And we've got another moment where he, where he does this. I love it. Peter, Peter says this, um, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you. Prove it, what he said. Prove it. And I love Jesus' response. 
He didn't preach him a message. He didn't send him a podcast or a book to read or the latest worship song to listen to to give him some like, some like hype him up to get on the water. No, he said one word, come. One word, come. And then it says, Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, here it is. Why did you doubt? Now, I think the rescue happened in two steps. First, when Peter doubted Jesus, Jesus opened his heart. Say, opened his heart. Okay, that's step one. Step two, when Peter began to sink, the rescue happened, he opened his what? His hand. Okay. Open your heart. Then open your hand. As the church, I think we're really good at opening our hearts. I think we're really good at praying for people, being convicted about things. That's only half the rescue. The second half of a rescue, conviction is followed by action. And that's when it gets dangerous. And that's when it gets scary. And that's when you have to stick out your hand and not just open your heart. But you rescue people by doing something. And we see Jesus open his heart and open his hand over and over. So when it's our turn, you're going to know when it's time for rescue when you get uncomfortable. You've got to get uncomfortable, more uncomfortable in your faith. And in the, if, if you're super comfortable, there's probably not a lot of rescue going on. What does this look like, practically speaking? I was on a Southwest Airlines flight a couple of years. Anyone flown Southwest Airlines? They, they board you like cattle. They, they kind of herd you and they board you. And it's like every man for himself. So if you're an extrovert, it's your dream airline because you have to talk to people to like, hey, can I sit next to you? If you're an introvert, it's your nightmare of an airline because you have to talk to people. And, and if you're the last person to get on the plane, you are like public enemy number one, FBI's most wanted list. Nobody will look you in the eye because nobody wants you to sit next to them. So I happened to be the last person to walk on this plane. And sure enough, it was crazy. Every single eyeball on the plane with a seat next to them went all over the plane. Nobody's looking at me. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And towards the back of the plane, this older gentleman, about 70, 75 years old, he accidentally locked eyes with me. And I was like, oh, busted. So I run up to him. Like, hey, sir, can, can I sit in that seat next to you? And this man, almost shaking, looked at me and goes, mm-mm. I was like, no, no? No, I'm not going to take no. So I like grabbed my skinny jeans and I stepped over him and I awkwardly sat next to him. And, and I was like, I'm going to make this man like me. Like, he's rude, but I'm going to make him like me. And I was like, oh, you see my kids? They're so pretty. Like, you see my wife? Like, what do you do? Where, where are you going? This and that. Nothing. He wouldn't say a word to me. He just looked forward like this. I was like, forget him. So we fly. Atlanta. No, L.A. to Atlanta. We're about 20 minutes from landing in Atlanta, and the plane starts to bounce just a little bit. Now, any nervous flyers in the room? Anyone kind of nervous to fly? You can be honest. It was bouncing enough to where the pilot came on and was apologizing for it. You know, it was like, the winds are blowing 40 miles an hour. In order to safely land, they have to stay below 40. And he said this verbatim, so we're going to give it a shot. <laughs> now, again, Southwest Airline pilots, if you can meet me out there, why would you say that out loud? Because you only have one. So with his one shot, we start going down. And I looked over at Rudest Man in America. And this guy, he is gripping the seat in front of him. He is shaking. He is soaking wet, dripping. 
and I realize, oh my gosh, he's not rude. What is he? He's scared. It was, it was all the man could do to breathe. No wonder he didn't want to talk to me. I'm like, hey, yada, yada, yada. Da, 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 da. And he's like, oh. and I felt horrible. And I felt like God said, rescue the moment. Okay, what can I say to him? Oh, I'm, I'm going to pray for him. And I prayed. I prayed hard. Lord, I pray that you give this man peace. Give him peace, Lord. I believe you can come into him right now. You can cover him with peace. Give him peace. Give him comfort. Amen. I was like, yes, I felt like such a good Christian. And I felt like God was like. <laughs> and I, why, why, why the slow clap, God? Like, I'm, like I rescued it. No, 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 no. You did half the job. You opened your heart. Now open your hand. And I didn't want to do it. I took about 10 deep breaths like that. And I looked out the window. And I just laid my hand on my lap. And I said, if he doesn't grab my hand in one second, I'm just going to keep stretching and cracking my knuckles like I'm done. <laughs> it took him less than a second. Five cold, wet fingers gripped mine. And now I'm having a romantic moment <laughs> at 30,000 feet with this strange man. Oh, my gosh. God, what do I do now? Now what? He's holding it now. And God was like, silent. And I was like, 20 minutes, I'm holding hands with the stranger. We land, still holding his hand. We taxi the gate. He's still gripping my hand. We get to the gate, and I think, we should make eye contact because we've held hands for 20 minutes. Like. <laughs> so I turn to look at him. This man lets go of my hand, gets up, walks up the plane, never says one word to me. He used me. And just as, just as I started feeling that, like, I can't believe he used me, I felt like God said, uh-uh, he used me. God used me. And he's going to use you, but you have to do this. You have to risk in order to rescue. You've got to risk. If there's not a lot of risk in your life, there's not a lot of rescue. Risk in order to rescue. That's what we do. We mimic the master, we pause so we perceive, and we risk in order to rescue. So to wrap this up today, sometimes God will take all these moments and kind of wrap them up. We don't, is it created, received, rescue? I don't know what it is, but the Lord has moments for us all the time. I was shooting a music video in downtown Atlanta. It was super cold. It was early in the morning. And um, I'll never forget it. Like there were all these homeless people walking around the park where we were at. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I don't have any food, I don't have any money, so I need to like not look at the homeless people so that I don't make eye contact and they don't come to me. Isn't this crazy how we as Christians, we're so busy doing the work of God that we forget the work of God that's sitting right in front. And this homeless guy comes walking by me and I felt like the Lord was like, just look at him. It's like, God, I don't have any money, like I don't have anything to give, just look at him. So I looked at him and he drops his shopping cart and he starts walking towards me and I was like, all right, well, now I'm going to have to tell him I don't have anything. And he goes, you, you sing a gospel, man. I was like, yeah, I'm singing, I'm singing gospel. He goes, please, you sing your song and let me sing with you. I said, okay. And he kept the camera rolling. And watch the moment God gave him. 
uh, we were shooting, you know, different B-roll footage and some stuff for this uh, EPK, and and this guy, Danny, comes walking up. I'm out there singing, you know, you're the god of second chances. It's like 37 degrees outside. My fingers are freezing cold. Well, Danny proceeds to walk himself right next to me, and he's like, keep singing your song. Okay, you sing a song, all right? And I start singing God of Second Chances. So when I get to where the chorus is over, Brother Danny starts singing in his Jamaican kind of vibe, definitely that Rastafarian feel. was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, seeing that this guy, that he knew that I, I'm not homeless. He comes walking up to share a moment with me and that we're two, we're two beings, we're two human beings in completely different areas of life that were connected because we have a God of second chances. But it was, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Honestly, I can say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That, um, uh, I mean, maybe Danny was an angel. I don't even know. It was so God-orchestrated that um, I think it blew all of our minds. And um, so anyway, Danny, I appreciate you for what you taught me today. One of the last things I said to Danny before I let him go, I looked at Danny in the eyes and I was like, Danny, Keep trying to make it. And he looked at me and he was like, trying to make it? No, 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 it's not about trying to make it. I'm making it. Lord, have mercy, mercy, mercy. Yeah, yeah. I show you that, I show you that to remind you of all the Dannys that you're walking by. And I'm not just talking about Dannys, homeless guys. I'm talking about all of the moments God has for you that we're just walking right by. Keep trying to make it, Danny. I, I just remember him looking at me like, excuse me? Trying to make it? I'm making it. And what I heard was you, Mr. Minivan and White Picket Fence, you, you, you keep trying to make it. Because all I've got is the throne of God, my shopping cart, and me. We're good. Carlos, you've got your phone, your Twitter, and your job, and your Delta Sky Miles, and all of these things that keep you comfortable. Not to romanticize poverty. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the received moment I got is I got to get some stuff out of the way and get back to Jesus. And I would say that right now in this room, there's a lot of people that are missing out on some incredible moments God has for you. And, and this is the way to do it. Well, this is the last thing to remember. My dad used to say this when I was growing up. And it used to bother me because I never understood it. But I get it now. Before he tucked me in at night, he goes, Godless, gaze at God and glance at life. 
gaze at God and glance at life. And I was always like, what? But then I grew up, and don't we gaze at life and glance at God? Staring at the drama around us. And then when we need something, uh uh-uh. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you do that, you're going to see all these moments light up all around you. Let's pray. God, oh, Jesus, there, there's, um, such, there, there's such practical things to take away from this, Lord. But what I want, Lord, I'm asking for myself, Lord, I'm asking that you enlighten us to one specific moment we can have this week. Let's start us off with one, one moment where we can risk in order to rescue, where we can pause and we can mimic who you are. Just give us one, Jesus. And the next week, give us two. But make this church a moment-making church. May revival spread because of what we do on purpose. For it is in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we all shouted amen. Amen. Amen.